and welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. I'm your host each week. You may recognize my voice or my face as the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast, about 15 feet there to the right, where on Tuesdays and Fridays, I interview some of the world's most renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, business titans, and then we complement that with a broadcast every Thursday here on C-Suite Conversations, where I'm privileged to interview some of the most iconic leaders of our time. Today we have Yukanwa Ojo. She is a renowned business leader, has been the transformative force behind great teams from some of your favorite brands. We'll talk about those. She is currently, however, the CEO and founder of Zaya Ventures. We'll learn more about it in just a moment. Joining us from New York City, Yukanwa, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thanks for having me, Scott. I'm so excited about our conversation today. Um, the pleasure is ours. Uh, after a couple of years in this seat, we have interviewed some of the most remarkable C-suite leaders from massive brands, and we're so complimented by your presence because you have a remarkable career from a lot of beauty brands, health and wellness brands, to high-tech brands. You now are an, a, a um, uh, igniter, a pollinator of underserved, underrepresented cultures in terms of their ability to build and sustain their business ventures. Excited to talk about that. I wonder if you might indulge us for a few minutes and talk a bit about your path, your professional path has been varied and broad. If you might yeah. make, um, check your humility, take your time and talk about maybe a little bit of your upbringing, your education and some of the, of the uh, careers you've blossomed into and transitioned to. I find that our listeners and viewers crave hearing people's journeys, so please don't under-communicate it. Yeah, I would say like a lot of people, um, my career was not a linear one. Um, I started out with my career in um, finance. Um, I grew up in Nigeria uh, until I was about 15, moved to the U.S. Um, I studied here for my undergrad and um, like a lot of Nigerians fell in love with math and, and thought my career path would be in finance. So I started out my career in that. I spent about five and a half years um, doing that. Um, and then I just recognized that my mom, who was a fashion designer, had instilled a lot more creative in me than I had given her credit for. Um, and I knew that I, I needed to change. My career needed a little bit of a pivot. I When I went home at the end of the day, I didn't want to do more of it. Um, so yes, so why I loved math, and um, it made sense for me to spend my career in finance. I just, I knew that they had to be more than that. So I did a ton of soul searching. Um, and in that process, I learned about a career path called brand management. And I had never heard about that before. And it was a career path where you got to run a PL, which is the reason why I went into finance. But you got to grow the business with great ideas through innovation, through advertising and communication and um, just new ideas and leading cross-functional teams. Um, and I was really, really intrigued. Um, so I decided to go back and get my MBA at Kellogg because I recognized that a lot of brand management companies went there to recruit. And I was very fortunate um, that I got hired um, by General Mills as an intern. And when I served there as an intern, um, my internship project actually ended up being so successful that it was featured on the front page of the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal Marketplace. And so you can imagine me in my 20s um, making a pivot um, and taking a bet and then seeing kind of my 
first foray into this new career path resulting in such a win um, on the business side as well as me as well as for me professionally and that really was the validation um, that I needed at the time so I came back and I decided you know what I think I found my calling like I think this is it and um, I started my career there and I was there for a number of years and really it went from running individual brands to running portfolio of brands to running a division um, and to eventually to organizations. Um, and that has been a lot of growth and learning along the way. Most recently, um, I was a global chief marketing officer for Amazon Prime Video. Um, and I also was the general manager for the U.S. business. Before that, I was the global chief marketing officer for MAC Cosmetics. Um, and before that, the brand president of CoverGirl Globally. Um, so yeah, I've I'm so glad that I had that pivot um, early in my career because it taught me a lot about, you know, taking bets on yourself um, and, and kind of seeing that pay off. And I've taken a lot of other bets on myself since then. Um, but that first one, um, really listening to my heart and knowing why I, while I liked what I was doing, I knew I'd never be the best in the world at it because I didn't really think about it after five o'clock um, to moving into something that didn't feel like work. Um, and so I was able to put in a ton of hours into it and it never felt like I did. Um, and I stood out, you know, very early and very quickly and the rest, as they say, is history. And now I've taken another bet, um, stepping out into entrepreneurship and, and owning and running a venture studio. And, um, and it feels a lot like that first bet. Um, and it's been a lot of fun doing that as well. You come what you've also won or earned every possible award there was in every possible category, 60 plus accolades from Ebony and Business Insider and Forbes and, 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 and you name it. So you earned all of that. I, you've talked and, a lot about brand management this morning. Let's start with your brand. Mm. When, when someone talks about you in your absence, what do you think <laughs> it is they're saying about Yukonwa's brand? Because I think we spend so much time talking about an organization's brand and not enough time talking about our own brand. We've either created it accidentally, we've created it intentionally. What have you, yeah. done, what, what have you done to create your own brand intentionally mm -hmm. that you think other people recognize and talk about? Yeah, I, it's hard. I don't, I don't really know how other people would describe me, but I do know that sometime in my mid-30s, I read a book about Miles Monroe, um, and it, I think it was called uh, In Pursuit of Purpose, something like that. And that book was transformative for me as a human being. Um, and I think reading that book, I basically decided to be very comfortable with who I was created to be. Um, flaws and all, with all of my strengths and all of my flaws. And it wasn't until I really stepped into the power of that um, that I felt like my career really took off um, because I recognized that we're all very rich individuals um, and we're all so complex in the way that we were created. Um, and I had probably spent too many years when I was younger wanting to be something that I wasn't and always striving to be something that I wasn't. I thought that was the key to success. And something um, after reading that book, a switch kind of went off in me and go, what if everything that is complex about who I am is the key to my success? 
what would it look like if that were the truth? And so I completely decided to lean into that. Um, and so I, I hope that when people describe me, that they will say that I am someone who is truly authentic um, and not just as a buzzword, that I take pride in showing up as who I was created to be and that I create space for other people to do the same. Um, because I believe that if we're gonna get the best from everyone, um, core to that is giving them the space to be who they were created to be. And then that way, their unique gifts can shine through. And if their unique gifts can shine through, then that is the maximum benefit that we can get from that human being. Um, so yeah, so that's that's who I show up as, is um, I show up as Ukonwa as she was originally intended. Um, and to be honest, ever since I came up with that realization, my career, really took off um, because I became more fearless. I became more courageous. I became more content, um, content with who I was, content with wherever stage in life I was in the moment. Um, and with that contentedness and with that um, acceptance, I took more risks. I took more risks with myself. I took more risks with my team. I took more risks with my businesses. Um, and they paid off. Um, they paid off in really big ways for the companies that I worked for, for the businesses that I was responsible for, and then ultimately um, for me as a human being. Um, so yeah, my intentional about how I build my brand, I don't know, I'm intentional about showing up as who I am um, and showing up as who I was created to be. And in that, um, I think there's been a positive impact on the people around me and on the businesses that I've had the pleasure of leading. Yukanda, I mean this very sincerely. I feel like if you were the world's older sister, everybody would be better off. Like if you were everybody's big sister, that would be actually a phenomenal thing for us as we grow into our authentic selves and better contributors. And so that's a compliment. Let's talk about brand management. You have shepherded some of the best, most iconic brands in health and wellness and beauty and entertainment. Is it possible in 2024 for a company to actually manage their brand. There's, there are so many incursions and opportunities for people to hijack it. How realistic, yeah. and, and, and what are some practical ways as you're speaking to CMOs and EVPs of customer experience and CEOs, do companies still own the power of their brand and how do they keep control of that and should they keep control of it? Yeah. Um that's a really great question. I think pragmatically, um, branding is more fundamental than I think a lot of uh, leaders give it credit for. Every decision that you make as a business builds or, uh, or takes away from your brand. Every decision and every action you make leaves an impression in the minds of your customers, in the minds of your employees, in the minds of your investors, in the minds of the world. And so everybody thinks of branding as an activity they have to do. They kind of think about it almost like an advertising campaign. And I think that's where a lot of businesses get it wrong. Um, every time they show up, every time they speak, every time they show up with a, pack, with a piece of packaging or um, a letter, an email that they send to their constituents, everything that they do 
builds up to the brand that they are. And so I think if we think about it like that, then we are doing so much to build our brands every day, whether we're doing it intentionally or unintentionally. It doesn't matter, you're leaving an impression in people's minds. And it's so much more valuable than people realize. So anybody who's ever done a merger and acquisition can attest to this. A lot of times when you actually value the assets that you're buying, they're a very, very small percentage of what a business is actually worth. And the difference between the value of all the assets and the value that people are willing to pay for your business is your brand at the end of the day. And so we're all doing that, whether we're doing, you know, we're building it intentionally or unintentionally, we're all doing that. And so those who do it well, buy up a lot of goodwill in the world so that when they do make a mistake, um, so that when they do have a mishap, they're able to, yes, they may deduct from that, but if they've built in a ton of goodwill, they're still left with a lot at the end of the day. Um, but for brands or for companies who have not been intentional in depositing in the goodwill, when they have a crisis or when they have a mishap, then it's completely depleted and they have nothing left. So I, I would love for brands and businesses to be more proactive in the way they think about branding as how can I make every business decision, every action that this company takes, that this brand takes as a deposit of goodwill into the banks of human beings all over the world so that if I ever need it, it's there. Um, and I think if we thought about it that way, it would be a lot more pragmatic way to think about building the brand or building our reputation um, that's going to benefit us whether we have a crisis or not. Because at the end of the day, the value of a company is the difference between what people are willing to pay for it and the value of the assets. And you'll find that the physical assets that a company owns are actually a really small percentage of, of what you're actually worth. What that perception in people's minds of who you are, that's actually what you're worth. So be incredibly intentional about that. You can what nicely said, truly. Let's revisit a concept we've talked about thus far about authenticity. It kind of feels like a term that's hitting a tipping point in the zeitgeist, right? Everybody is showing up as their authentic self. Who would admit to not doing that? But I think all of us are wondering, what does that mean for us? You've worked and led some of the brands in the most iconic beauty space in the world, right? Mac and CoverGirl and Cody and others in the Unilever family as well. We've seen this trend, at least in women's beauty, about yeah. authenticity and being very natural. You know, I think Pamela Anderson a few weeks ago kind of crushed the internet when she appeared without makeup. It seems like Jamie Lee Curtis, for her age, is talking about it. I interviewed Jane Seymour, the famous actress, a few weeks oh. ago, and she was lovely. And she said on the podcast, I'm just trying to be the best me for my age. She had no plastic surgery, no fillers and things. Hey. At least that's, she, she, that's what she told us. Um, what do you see the trends, whether someone's in the beauty business or the, the health and wellness business or the tech business, do we see this trend that is featuring women in their natural size and shape and their natural state that seems to have been um, a movement? Is that here to stay? Is that crossing beyond the beauty business into other realms? Answer that however you feel inclined. 
Yeah, I think we're we're in a really great time in our history where every human being is determining or kind of coming into their worth as a human um, and being very comfortable in asserting their value in the world. And the reality of it is every human, every consumer deserves to be served. And if you don't serve them, in the past, what would happen is there were a lot of barriers to entry. There were a lot of barriers to start up a company. You needed a lot of capital. Um, you needed a lot of marketing dollars. And so only a few could afford to do that. And so there were barriers to entry to doing that. And so you had few companies trying to serve the whole world, and they would make very... Um, uh, simple decisions, I would say targeting decisions, and they would talk about things like we have a general population and we would target almost the lowest common denominator. How can we group everybody into one bucket so it's easier for us to serve them? And post social media and post the technological revolution, we are now in an era where every individual has a voice and deserves to be served. And in doing that, the price of the cost of entry to start a business is way lower than it's ever been, right? So it's much easier today to start a business than it ever was. Um, there's so many tools and resources out there for people to serve people who were previously underserved. Um, and so you're going to find yourself saying, you know what, I am going to feel comfortable showing up as who I am. If you're not able to serve me as a company and as a brand, somebody is going to show up to do that. I'm either going to start a business to appeal to other people who look like me, feel like me, or somebody else is going to step up to the plate to do that. And now it's easier than it's ever been in human history to start a business to serve the underserved. Um, and so I think that is a call to action for the big brands to say there's a lot of complex complexity in the consumers that you're serving how can you leverage technology and leverage empathy to create an organization that's actually going to do that? Oh, and by the way, if you don't do that, there's going to be a startup who will. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that in every single industry. We're seeing that across every category that you can imagine. Um, and I think it's making brands and businesses, big and small, take notice. Um, and we're finding that there are different businesses now to serve all the different niches that in, you know, decades ago would just go underserved because it was inefficient for the big brands to do so. It was easier for them to have one simple communication to everyone, um, one, sim one innovation on the shelf that everybody had to deal with, regardless of if it served their needs or not, to where we are today, which says, no, as an individual human, I see my value and I see my worth and I expect to be served. Um, and so you either make the changes necessary to figure out how to understand me and to serve me, or either myself or somebody else is gonna step up to the plate and do that. Um, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. I think those barriers to entry, and um, especially now with artificial intelligence, are only getting lower and lower. Um, so I don't see that trend reversing ever. Um, so all the big brands have to take notice of that and build systems and infrastructure um, to do that. Let's pivot, and I want you to give everybody an Amazon MBA. You served as the CMO 
Uh, global yeah. CMO of Amazon Prime Video and Studios. You and your team led some of the most iconic productions ever coming out of that studio. My brother, like you, served um, in a senior role at Amazon for several years. He was the head of two Amazon companies. Oh. And so he always told me some of the you know, notorious, if you will, legendary business practices that he learned at Amazon. Will you take a few minutes and teach us some of the business principles that you learned and mastered in your time at Amazon that you still employ in your new venture today? Oh my God, I love that question. Um, it's interesting. Part of the reason why I joined Amazon um, was when I saw the leadership principles, I actually found them very validating. Um, there were a lot of principles that I had believed and lived my entire career. And it was so great to actually see a company that believed the same things um, and wrote them down on paper. Um, and so when I read them, I went, oh my God, I have thought this and believed this my whole career. And it's so great to see on paper that another company believes the same thing. And so that was part of the reason, to be honest, why I joined. And so I can talk to you about some of those. Um, the first one for me was customer obsession. Um, and just the recognition that every customer um, is valuable and is worth pursuing. Um, and so that's how Amazon started. It was the everything store and believing that they could serve everyone. And so the way that I just talked about um, the democratization of what's happening in today's marketplace, where every consumer believes that they have value and they believe that they should be served. And so here's a company that started out saying, we will serve everyone. We will be the everything store. And that was the opposite of everything that you were supposed to be. You were supposed to be very choiceful in who you targeted. You weren't supposed to serve everyone. And you weren't supposed to be crazy enough to believe that you could build an infrastructure that served everyone. And so that customer obsession um, was so attractive to me that um, Amazon believed that, that the entire company was built off of that obsession. Um, and I wholeheartedly have believed that my whole career, and I still do. Um, the second was the idea of thinking big and working backwards from that. Um, I've always been a fundamental believer in a beehive. So for those who are not familiar with that, it's called a big, hairy, audacious goal. And anybody who's ever been a part of my team at Amazon or even prior to that will recognize that word because I am obsessed with it. And it's the whole idea that you set a big, hairy, audacious goal. Imagine yourself in five years, in 10 years, where do you want to be as a business, as a person, as a human? Um, and then you set that goal and you make it plain and you write it down. And then you work backwards from that and say, okay, if that's where I wanna be in two years, in three years, in five years, what needs to be true today? for that to happen. And that step changes your innovation mindset. That step changes your ability to do things differently. There are so many times when you're working with teams and you basically say, you know what? I want us to do X, Y, and Z. And they'll go, oh, that's gonna be really hard because this could happen and this could happen and we have this competition. And so you, you, you go, you know what? Scratch that, let's dream of it. What would be a big, hairy, audacious goal for us in five years? 
And then you write that down. And then you say to that same team, well, what needs to be true today so that we can achieve that big, hairy, audacious goal in five years? And you automatically see the wheels turning in their heads as they start changing the paradigm on what, from what is impossible to what could be possible. And the reality is I've seen this work so many times. Even if you don't achieve the BHAG, you will be so far ahead of any incremental goal that you could have put in place. Because most corporations, especially large corporations, are built to think incrementally. But when you take people out of that incremental mindset and you have them think about a BHAG, and then you tell them to work backwards from that to today and what needs to be true, the creativity and the boldness and the, the imagination that you unleash in your team when you do that is absolutely incredible. Um, and that's something that I've seen um, come to life throughout my career. And it was so validating to be a part of an organization that also believed that um, and, and worked in the same ways. Um, and then the last one for me would be deliver results. Um, I, as a leader, love having a, uh, a ton of autonomy, um, which is why I'm an entrepreneur. I've always considered myself an intrapreneur because even when I worked within corporations, um, I loved having a lot of autonomy and it was a really core part of my ability to deliver results. And um, I like that leadership principle because when you deliver results, you get a lot of autonomy. Um, and when you don't, you get a lot of help. So, so I love that one of the leadership principles at Amazon is that you are to deliver results. Um, and if you're someone who's fired up by the ability to put points on the board, that is such an energizing leadership principle to have that, you know what, we're a meritocracy. We're here for people who want to put points on the board and we'll give latitude to you in the way that you are able to do that. Um, because at the end of the day, we want to put points on the board for our customers. We want to put points on the board for our partners. Um, and we want to put points on the board for our investors and for our stakeholders. Um, and that that's another one that really, really um, speaks to me. And it's incredibly important for every business, because if you don't put points on the board, you won't be around for much longer. Jim Collins thanks you for popularizing his term BHAG from his book, Good to Great. You mentioned a phrase <laughs> earlier on in our discussion that has stuck up with me, and you referred to it as taking a bet on yourself. I mean, to me, it seems like a kind of ethereal concept, but I want you to talk about that. What does it mean to take a bet on yourself? What does someone do? What do, they, what, what do they believe? What do their actions look like when they actually take a bet on yourself? Why wouldn't you do that? What, what else would you bet on other than yourself? I think a yeah. lot of people hear that and maybe they work in cultures where they fear like, oh, well, I'll be accused of grandstanding or of self-aggrandizing or being too confident in myself. But if you don't take a bet on yourself, what else would you bet on? Someone else? Yeah, um, it's so interesting. Um, every single one of us, whether we admit it or not, has a vision on the inside of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to show up and the difference that we're supposed to make in the world. Um, and sometimes because of fear, 
um, sometimes because of comfort, um, we choose not to go after that. And so taking a bet on yourself is being true to that vision on the inside. And that vision on the inside may be completely aligned to where you are. And I think there's some people who are very, very fortunate where the vision of where they see themselves is completely aligned with where they are right now. And so for them, taking a bet on themselves is continuing on the path that they are on. And I think that is incredible. Um, and there are a lot of people who are living that dream, um, but they may be sometimes when you have that knowing on the inside of what you're supposed to be doing, or you have that vision of where you, you believe your value um, would be best deposited, and you're not in that place. Taking a bet on yourself is having the courage to go in the direction of that vision. Um, and I recognize that that is really hard because for some people, um, that may come with some short-term losses, right? Um, but you bet that in the long term, you're going to be better off. I remember when I went to business school and I decided to pivot from a career in finance to a career in brand management, I had to go back to business school for two years. I had to spend money on a business degree. I had to take two years off of work without any additional income. That was taking a bet on myself because I was gonna lose two years of a salary and then it was gonna cost me more to go back to business school. And what if at the end of the two years it didn't work? Um, but I knew that coming home every day, working in finance, I couldn't imagine doing that for the rest of my life. Um, it would just be a job. It would not be interesting enough. And one of the things that I know for a fact is that you will never be the best in the world at something you hate. You will never ever be the best in the world at something you hate. And so if I didn't love what I was doing, the odds that I would be the best in the world at it were really, really low. But another thing I knew for sure is I didn't know anybody who was the best in the world at whatever they were doing that wasn't well compensated. So I knew that even though I would take a hit in the short term. If I actually ended up being really good at this thing that I knew on the inside felt like was a better fit for how I was built and how I showed up in the world, and I ended up being really good at it, I would be fine. So yes, it may cost me something in the short term, but in the long term, I would be okay and I would figure it out. And I would figure out a way to cover up for any short-term losses because in the long term it will pay off. And that has paid off. And so I look back on that decision that I took almost 20 years ago to do a pivot after you know six years. Um, it was the best decision of my career to do that. Um, I ended up being just fine financially. I ended up being more than fine professionally. Um, and I'm so thankful that I was able to move my life in accordance with the vision and the knowing that I had on the inside. And so that's what I mean when I say um, bet on yourself. You are a sage, really wise wisdom you just gave us there. I had the privilege a few months ago of having breakfast with Marcus Buckingham, one of the, the evangelizers of the strengths movement, strengths finder, now discover your strengths, first break all the rules from Gallup. And he said something that was profound at breakfast. He said, most of us 
don't love what we're great at. And the problem is we're great at something, we're naturally good at it, and we build careers around it. We all need to ask ourselves, do we love what we're naturally great at? Let's finish our conversation talking about Zaya Ventures. This is your current passion and focus. Talk about why that is where you're spending your time, what does it mean, who's involved. People will be interested in this conversation. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have. I told you I was an entrepreneur, intrapreneur, um, but I am a descendant of a long line of entrepreneurs. My father was one, my mother was one, my grandparents, um, and I feel like that call had always been on my life. Um, but it was almost like the more successful I became in corporate, the bigger the handcuffs, the golden handcuffs. Um, the opportunity cost just became higher and higher and higher. And something about turning 45 just really created a sense of urgency that this was the time to do it. Um, and how do I want to spend kind of the next chapter, the next half of my career? And I realized that there were a lot of um, opportunities to serve underrepresented consumers, um, marginalized people, um, and not enough people were taking advantage of that from a business opportunity. And so I decided to step away from corporate and to build a venture studio that would really maximize the opportunities that I saw as white space in the marketplace. And so we do two things. Where we see white space in the marketplace, we will build companies um, to take advantage of them. Um, and But we don't always have to build. If we see great founders um, that are building great companies within those spaces, we will invest in them. And so that's what I've spent uh, the last few couple of years really building towards. Um, so we've built two companies. Um, one of them is called Zaya, which is a social platform for Christians, um, who we probably not underrepresented, but sometimes marginalized. Um, and I think there's an opportunity um, for us to serve that customer. And a lot of mainstream custom, uh, companies don't serve that customer. And so I've created a company that does that. The second is Ada and Edith, which is a fashion brand for the busy woman. Um, and I'm so excited about building that brand because I recognize that within the fashion space, a lot of people, one, it was male dominated, and a lot of people weren't really designing around the woman. Um, a lot of perspectives from fashion is the industry creates something and the woman kind of contorts herself to fit it. Um, and so she feels, you know, she doesn't, even though, for example, we're a size 16, you look at the runway, it looks nothing like that. Um, she has so many responsibilities in her day, but we don't necessarily always design around that. She really cares about sustainability. We don't always necessarily design around that. And so, yeah, we created Ada and Edith for um, fashion that is incredibly comfortable <laughs> um, because we recognize that she is a really busy woman. She's getting a lot done for her family. She's getting a lot done for herself. She's getting a lot done for her company. And we want fashion to be the easiest choice that she makes. Um, and she, we want her to feel incredibly beautiful wearing it. She doesn't have to wear shapewear to fit into our clothes. We want her in her glorious self 
um, to be able to make a fashion choice and feel beautiful doing it. So we've designed around her life. We're really, really excited about that. And then we also um, invest in other entrepreneurs who are growing really amazing, incredible companies and being able to bet on them and say, we believe in your idea. And we want to be able to put our resources as well as our experience to help you to be even more successful. And um, it's been so much fun um, to use my experience um, as well as that of my team um, to put these ideas into the world. When do you sleep? I mean, what are you not working on? Uh, our time is ending. I'm interested to know what's next for you. Like, I, why have I not seen your book at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, sorry, or any retailer? Like, what's, what's next on your horizon? Um, it's, it's great. I, um, what's next for me is that um, a colleague shared with me a couple of years ago that there were only 50 companies, five zero, 50 black owned businesses in the US that had revenues greater than $100 million. That statistic stopped me in my tracks because I had never worked on a business that was less than $100 million. Um, and what's next for me is I, with this next half of my career, I wanna build at least one company um, that generates revenues of 100 million or greater. I want to take. The, I want to play a role in taking that fifth, that number 50 to 51 or 52, or hopefully it's 60 at that point and 61 or 62. And then second is I want to help somebody else build one. And so that's why for our venture studio, we're building companies, but we're also investing in other companies with our time and with our dollars. And so if I could build one and then help somebody else build one, that's two added to a very small number. And that will be an incredible use of my um, time and talent and experience. And so that's what's next for me. And yeah, on the idea of a book, I never really thought about writing a book, but you are the second person that has said this to me in the last 48 hours. Um, so I probably should pay more attention to that and, um, and should see that as um, something that I should probably think about um, in the horizon, but not something that I'm actively working on right now, but I probably should, given that you're the second person that's brought that up in the last 48 hours. I hope sincerely that all of our episodes are worth listening to from the beginning to the end. I think this one is worthy of listening to twice because you have delivered a lot of thoughtful, introspective insight around doing what brings us joy and passion and meaning, serving needs that are unmet, BHAGs, the role that big, hairy, audacious goals play on our teams. People want to win. People want to accomplish important big things, and I see you as a very galvanizing, magnetic leader. Uh, Yukonwa Ojo, thank you for your time today. So enjoyed our conversation. We appreciate you joining us on C-Suite Conversations. Thank you, Scott. This is so much fun. You asked the best questions, and you made it really, really easy. Thank you. Pleasure is ours, me. and we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite. <laughs>